that is why I think that Bahrain is the perfect place for you to perfect your thinking and your living like a believer. soon as possible next week uh, so as you who registered for the in-person service this week there was a question on there uh, for those of you that didn't answer why not it takes an extra 10 seconds you know but if you can't do that for us then you know never mind uh, the question was look on Friday we're talking about the best place in the world to learn to live and think like a believer where do you think that is some of the answers were quite expected like um, uh, in spirit and truth, uh, wherever God calls you, all these very good Christian expected answers. Some of them were a little bit further out of left field. Uh, I just want to share some with you. Where do you the best place to, in the world to learn, to live and think like a believer? Where do you think that is? Some of the answers, one was Disney World. I don't know why being at Disney World is the best place in the world to learn, to think like a believer. Maybe you're like shunning worldly possessions that cost so much at Disney World. Uh, one person said, Ikea. <laughs> yeah, no, no idea why. Uh, a couple of people said, church. It is nice, isn't it? Because that's us and that's our church. That's good. Uh, a couple of people said, church. But really, I was thinking of a, a, a place, a uh, best place in the world, uh, a place to point at on a map. Uh, somebody right out of left field said Bhutan. I don't know if that was an autocorrect because they actually meant Bahrain, but uh, normally we get Brunei as well or the Bahamas, stuff like that pops up. Uh, then we had Zambia, England, and South Africa. Um, yeah, nice places. Uh, no doubt. But do you know what? For me, I think the best place to learn to live like a believer is right here in Bahrain. Not Bhutan or not Brunei or the Bahamas or the places that your mail gets sent instead of Bahrain. Uh, but I think it is right here in Bahrain. Maybe you agree. Maybe you absolutely don't agree. Uh, but as we move through this text in First Corinthians, I'm going to show you why uh, this is the best place in the world to learn to live and think like a believer. It's quite a transient place, isn't it? People come and go very quickly. If you look around, some people have gone in the last seven days uh, for a variety of reasons, no doubt. Maybe on every, every year, every summer, maybe 25, 30% of our church community moves on. Uh, and this brings quite unique challenges for us uh, leading and looking after the church. But it's actually the perfect place to perfect the attitude to life that the Bible encourages us uh, to have. But I bet that wasn't listed on the information that you got about moving to Bahrain, was it? You know, like blue skies, uh, nice sunshine, great food, good people. And also it's the perfect place to live like a Christian but it's probably not on any like welcome to Bahrain uh, things. But maybe it should be. So as we move through this text, uh, I'm going to show you why. This is absolutely the best place for you to be in the world right now. Paul's been on this topic for a little while, uh, hasn't he? He's been writing about marriage, singleness, divorce, relationships, and change for quite a while, because there's quite a lot to say about 
those topics. There are no quick fixes in most cases when these things come up in our lives. Uh, if the Corinthians were looking for, you know, quick answers, short and snappy sayings, blanket rules, and kind of ear-tickling, ego-boosting messages, then Paul was absolutely not the guy. Uh, he cared enough about this group to give them the big pictures and the detail as well. So he's got a couple more points to make uh, in terms of relationships, and then um, he is going to, and so we're going to move on. He's moving away from talking about relationships, and we're going to move on next week. But he's got a couple more things to say. Uh, so as Diane read for us, we're going to read again together uh, 1 Corinthians 7, verses 25 to 31. Paul says, with regard to the question about people who have never married, I've got no command from the Lord, but I give my opinion as one shown mercy by the Lord to be trustworthy. Because of the impending crisis, I think it best for you to remain as you are. The one bound to a wife should not seek divorce. The one released from a wife should not seek marriage. But if you marry, you've not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. But those who marry will face difficult circumstances, and I'm trying to spare you such problems. And I say this, brothers and sisters, the time is short. So then those who have wives should be as those who have none, those with tears like those not weeping, those who rejoice like those not rejoicing, those who buy like those without possessions, those who use the world as though they were not using it to the full, for the present shape of the world is passing away. So... First up, who and what is Paul talking about? Uh, maybe your Bible says here in verse 25, with regard to the question about the betrothed. Maybe your Bible says uh, concerning virgins. Uh, the, the, my Bible says people who have never married. Uh, the word that he used uh, can mean all these things. Uh, it can mean virgins, the chaste, uh, an undefiled man or a woman, if you've got a super formal translation of the Bible. Uh, Paul says concerning this group of people, people who've never been married, there's no command from God, but he's going to give his own insp inspired opinion as somebody shown mercy by God to be trustworthy. So it's no less scriptural, it's no less biblical because Paul has written it. Uh, just because he doesn't say thus says the Lord. It's, it's, it doesn't mean that it's something that we can just disregard as Paul's own opinion. It's his inspired uh, opinion as one shown mercy by the Lord to be trustworthy. So uh, this question, they've said, look, what about people in our group who have never married? And we know, looking at the context, taking a bit of a deeper dive into the language, he is probably most likely talking about the younger folks uh, in the church community. So if your age starts with a three or a higher number, first, probably not speaking to you, which might make you a bit sad uh, that you're not in that younger group uh, anymore. The teens, for example, um, the youngish singles in church. And it seems that there was an attitude in the church at Corinth of well, there's all these questions going around about marriage, about divorce, about uh, spouses that you married before you came to faith, lots of change, change, change. What are we going to do? Oh, there's a group who are youngish, they've never married. What we should do is stop them ever getting married. 
to, to prevent them from having all these difficulties that, and all these situations that we're now in. Should we get divorced? Should we, uh, let's just stop them ever getting married. And we're back to the root question of this section. Is it better to be married or single? Attached, engaged, or just totally free? And again, without rehashing where we've been for a few weeks, Paul is really consistent in what he says. He says, look, because of the impending crisis, I think it best for you to remain as you are. So life is changing a lot, or life was changing a lot for them, and it is changing a lot for us. Life is really turbulent, so don't pursue with kind of mad vigor massive outward change in your life, is what he's saying to them. If God so directs, uh, then be obedient, but focus more on the inner change that's going on. Don't pursue, I've got to get married now, I've got to do this, I've got to do that, I've got to cast up. First, it's the inside change, and then because things are really difficult, just like we said last week, put the brakes on, remain as you are. There was um, just an, an excellent First Corinthians scholar, somebody who knew probably more about this letter than anybody have ever found, called Gordon Fee. And he wrote about this, and he said that within the Corinthian church, what was going on was that they're turning their own slogans, the things that they say as the church, they're turning that into something close to, or they're, they're, they're trying to turn it into something like God's law. And the result of which that if the youngish single people get married, they've sinned against God. Because we think you shouldn't get married, and we're going to say that with such passion that if you, if you do, it's, it's sin. You're contradicting God's law. Paul says, no, you don't need to chase change at all costs, but if God so wills it, if you marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. So he's just refuting this idea that all our lives are so turbulent, quite difficult, lots of change. Let's stop those in our community that are youngish, never be married. Let's stop them getting married to save them from all these difficulties. And we see a reason why he's saying this in verse 29. We see that he's saying for them not to chase change above everything else. He says, I say this, brothers and sisters, the time is short. So prioritize properly. Think about things properly. Says the time is short. Life is short, he's saying. So don't get entangled in the things of the world, is his point. So if you look with me at verse 29 and 31, sorry, 29 to 31, he says this is how he counsels them to live, how to live your, your, your Christian life, your faith life. So then, time is short. So then, those who have wives should be as those who don't have none. Uh, those with tears like those not weeping. Those who rejoice like those not rejoicing. Those who buy like those without possessions. Those who use the world as though they're not using it to the full. Now we know that he's making a point here, don't we? Because it's, if we took this stuff literally, it would be impossible. You can't be married and also be unmarried. Uh, you can't be crying and, and not crying the same time. So we know he's making a point because to take it literally would be ridiculous or impossible, and it would contradict what he's already said about uh, rejoicing, about marriage. So we know he's making a point. You're married, but be like people who are not married. You're crying, but be like people who 
aren't crane, you know, buy things but have no possession. We know he's making a point, and his big point can be summarized with a big word. Who likes big words? Oh my gosh, two or three, come on. Who likes to just drop a big word into a, a conversation and sound like, yeah, I know what that means. Yeah, we do, but nobody wants to admit that. So, his big point can be summarized with a big word. I think we can handle a big word now and again. He's saying you should live like this because Christians are, here it is, eschatological people. Ooh, now that did produce the desired effect. Good. What does this mean? It means that we are people who know about the end, the eschaton, when now turns into eternity. As a Christian, you know about that. And we're living in that truth now. So further down the line, you know how things are going to go. And because you know how things are going to go, now, here, back down the line, you're living a little bit differently to everybody around you. So the things that Paul has been talking about for a while now, for a few weeks for us, are, are good. They're, they're, they're healthy. The marriage, relationships, emotions, engagement with the world. But none of them are permanent. And he's saying, look, the time is short. You know what is coming further down the line. So see things properly now because of what you know is coming later. Now, how often have you met people Maybe you've been people who, rather than being you know, appropriately engaged with the world, are entangled in it and entranced by it, you know, feeling like what I'm doing now is so real and it is so enduring, I'm so satisfied, I'm, you know, I'm married now, life's going to be good, I've bought this, I've booked this, I'm all set, I've now achieved in my life X, Y, and Z, so things can't get any better for me. I'm kind of living my best life. We've all met people uh, like that. Maybe we've been people like that. But Paul is saying, look, time is so short. and The things of the world are so frail and fleeting. Let's not build houses on the sand because one day it's all going to go away anyway. We're not looking for permanent joy in temporary things. Now, let's not misunderstand him. He's not discouraging relationships, emotions, marriage, engagement with the world around you, but he is warning the Corinthians and does that all of this stuff that we read about in 25 to 35, all of this stuff, as good as it is, is transient, just like us. Every year, stuff is going to change. It's all going to pass away. So, he's saying married or single, kids or no kids, Loads of stuff, not much stuff. It doesn't really matter because all of it is passing away. All those great things that people have as their singular life's purpose and defining character, it's all passing away is what he's saying. So engage with it, sure, enjoy it, use it to your benefit, use it to God's glory, but don't get entangled in it and entranced by it. And if we keep reading 32 to 35, he tells us why. He says, I want you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. A married man is concerned about the things of the world, 
how to please his wife. And he's divided. And he says the same for ladies. An unmarried woman or a virgin is concerned about the things of the Lord to be holy, both in body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the things of the world, how to please her husband. And in verse 35, he says, I'm saying this for your benefit, not to place a limitation on you, but so that without distraction, you may give notable and constant service to the Lord. So the reason Paul is laying all of this out for them, he says, I want this, this is for your good. I want you to be free from concern. I want you to see things for what life, I want you to see life around you for what it, what it really is. It's good, it's great, but it's not all that there is. And it's not as permanent as you might feel like it is. I don't want you to be disappointed when temporary and transient things change and let you down. So the stuff that he's talked about, relationships, marriages, our stuff, possessions, our plans, none of that is going to determine our future. None of that is going to make us eternally happy or even contribute a little bit to whether we have an eternity to be happy in. He gives examples of how you know, married people are concerned with their spouse, and this can be a bit of a distraction for them. Um, it could be something else to think about and consider and, and to focus on. Those who are unmarried or widowed, he's also including here, uh, engaged but not yet married. Um, that group of people are free to focus elsewhere. And then he says, look, I'm saying this for your benefit. This is good for you to live your life like this, with this kind of thinking. I'm saying this for your benefit, not to place a limitation on you, so that without distraction, you can give notable and constant service to the Lord. That is his big point in pretty much all of chapter 7. Married, single, engaged, younger, older, somewhere in the middle... Lots of stuff, no state doesn't really matter. What really matters is giving notable and constant service to the Lord because all of that stuff is transient, but what we do for God is much more permanent. And his point is, look, you're eschatological people. You know what is going to happen further down the line at the end of your life and at the end of time as we know it. And he says, look, you're eschatological people. You know what's coming. The time is short. If you've put your faith in Jesus to forgive you of the consequence of your sin, if you're a new creation, a, a born again and regenerate person, you need to be thinking like that and you need to be living like that. All these questions about marriage and relationships and divorce, it's all very interesting. But don't forget what is really, truly, permanently important. You know that all this is, is, is temporary. You know that this is not going to last, the relationships, the stuff, the emotions. So enjoy it all. Yes, he's not saying you need some really boring, dull life. Enjoy it, but don't get entangled in it. Use it to your benefit, he's saying. Use it to help you glorify God but don't get so wrapped up in the world around you that you think it's all solid and permanent and lasting. 
And again, again, he wants what he's saying to be a liberating word. This is a very positive note for him to finish this section on. Whichever direction you go, whichever direction you're called in, married, single, kids, no kids, stuff, no stuff, tears, laugh, he wants them to know it's all right. It's a good thing. However God calls you, whatever path he puts you on, it's fine. There are no more holy paths. We're not uh, increasing God's presence and favor and blessing in our lives because all of that stuff is temporary and transient and it will pass away. So focus on what is not ever going to pass away. Like I said, we've been here for a few weeks talking about all these different things, and it's such an interesting way to finish this kind of section. For Paul, Paul's got such an interesting way of answering this question, uh, even though he, he kind of already has the council. The, the you know the, it's very consistent with the last few weeks. And the way that he answers this, the way that he is trying to get the Corinthians to think has got such a strong and such a, a very real application for you and for me living now as 21st century believers. He could have just written them a list, do this, don't do this. But we're, we're moving away from religious rule books and law, aren't we? It's not about law anymore. Yes, there are some essentials to the faith, and on those essentials, Paul is very, very clear. Scripture in general is very, very clear. But bigger picture, it's now about grace and not law anymore. So why are you doing that? Not the minutia of what you are doing. So there are no fixed and firm rules for him to share with the Corinthians about younger single people when they should get engaged, when they shouldn't get engaged. There are no rubrics for him to send them in the mail about when, it's, when you should say yes to a marriage, when you should say no. When it's yes, I'm going to start this relationship with this person, and when it's a no. He's trying to get them to think, to take an eternal and much bigger picture view of life, who they know who they are as, as a Christian, as a believer, and then apply that to all these decisions. And I read this week that to, to people who are taught by the Spirit of God, general principles are far more valuable than special precepts. So he's not sent them a, a rubric, an answer key, a flow chart. Are you young or old? Are you single? Or There's no do this, don't do this. General principles are far more valuable than special precepts now. It is less difficult to apply a general principle to a peculiar case than it is to find out exactly what's going on case by case and find the special rules and loopholes. It's much more valuable to know the big picture truths and then use them to answer your own very specific question, query, or problem. Paul's not writing them a rule book. He's not codifying their lives, do this, don't do this. He wants them to think about who they are now but also into eternity, and then make God-honoring decisions that reflect the truth that all of this is going to pass away. And that is, that is still so true for you and for me. There, there is abundant scriptural evidence that within this context, within the context of church, as we now, it is right 
And it is proper for me to get up once a week and to tell you what is good, what is not good, what to do and what not to do. But that's not how we do things, is it? How many people would come to church every week if they knew it was a lecture or a lesson about law, do this and don't do this? No. No, you wouldn't. That's not how we do things anymore. We want to show you how to think, why you need to think like this, where to go to find the answers, who to go to to find the answers. We want you to make your own decisions. We love you. We don't mind walking through difficulties with you, but we want you to make your own decisions about your own life using your God-given, Spirit-driven conscience and being saturated with Scripture so that rather than saying, look, this, good, this, bad, you, get married. You, never, never get married. You should have children. You should never have children. That's not how we want to do things. We've got better things to do during the week than tell people that they should and shouldn't get married. We want you to use your God-given, Spirit-driven conscience to make good, God-honoring decisions. Now, again, yes, there are some things. There are always some things. In 1 Corinthians, we've talked about them, chapter 5, chapter 6, there are just a big no, an absolute no. There is a line, for sure. And that's where we step into each other's lives, when we see one another falling into sin, where we step in first one-on-one, and then we go back with a friend if it's not listened to. And then we go back with somebody from recognized church leadership. And if it's still not listened to, hey, look, you're going to make yourself a visitor in your own church. We talked about that in 1 Corinthians 5, months ago now, didn't we? Um, there's a line. And over the line, yeah, we're going to get involved quickly because we care. But bigger picture, you're, you're believing in Jesus, you're born again, you've got this God-given, spirit-driven conscience that testifies within you when big decisions need to be made, you know the truth of Scripture, you've got wonderful examples around you. We want you to choose to do what is good. What is good for you, as Paul says, it's for your benefit because the time is short. We want you to be free of concern. We want you to live a great life. Who wants to live a great life? Everybody does. Yeah, that was more rhetorical. Although we're coming to some massive participation, so that was good. Uh, The time is short. (laughs) We want you to know what Scripture says. So we gather on a Friday. It's not a lecture or a lesson about law. We want you to know what it says. Sure, we've got to teach a bit before we preach a bit. We need to know what it says. So when we leave, we can apply it to our own lives. And so bigger picture, like Paul says, you can focus on what is lasting and what is permanent so you can give notable and constant service to the Lord. Your daily life, your daily Christian life, you're not living in worry. Did I get this right? Did I get this wrong? Do I need to do a couple more right things to cancel out that wrong thing? We don't want you to live like that. Nobody wants to live like that. We want you to live by your God-given, Spirit-driven conscience, saturated with the truths of Scripture, because, he said, the time is short. And if you flick forward to the last book of your Bible, to Revelation, John has this vision of when now becomes eternity, and it's, it's all passing away. All the stuff that Paul's talked about is, is not on earth as in heaven. There are no marriages in heaven. So if you're married now, enjoy it, sure. Look after your marriage, engage with it, but don't don't treat it like that is 
your singular life purpose. Like that's your salvation. Like that's gonna that's your ticket to heaven. It's not. Same for all relationships. The, the emotions he talks about, weeping, rejoicing, the possessions, all the stuff, all that's in the world. Scripture tells us that the present shape of the world is passing away. So let's use it and engage with it and enjoy it, but don't get entangled and entranced by it. So I said earlier that I think Bahrain is the best place, the perfect place in the world for you to perfect this kind of attitude as an eschatological person. Bahrain is the best place in the world to be, a person with a firm grasp of who you are now, but also who you're going to be, people who have wives but are living like they're not married, people uh, with healthy emotions, not defined by their emotions, people with stuff who are not defined by their stuff, people who use the world, uh, although you've not jumped into it two feet, using it to the full. So, without knowing the intimate thoughts of each and every one of you, which is probably a, a good thing, I would suspect that when you think about your life here in Bahrain, you know, some of you have probably got it on a calendar, you know that there's going to be a day for whatever reason, when you leave. Yeah? Mm, I think so. And because you know somewhere down the line, there's a day when you're not going to be here, you're going to live kind of differently now, for most of us. And I'm, and I'm going to get you to illustrate this for yourself. I told you it's not a lecture, it's not a lesson, we're involved. So, just let's all stand up for a moment. Come on, we're involved. If we want lessons and lectures, we can, but it'd be a lot less interesting for you, certainly less interesting for me. So, everybody standing, I want you to sit down. If you think for whatever reason, with a reasonable degree of certainty, that in one year, that's February 2023, you won't be here in Bahrain. That's the transients that we're talking about. About a quarter of the people have sat down already. Oh, Wilson. Oh my gosh, this is what we learn. Let's get the big overhead camera on. We'll find out who's leaving them when. All right, one year, five years. If you think in five years, for whatever reason, there's a reasonable degree of certainty that you're not going to be here in five years' time. 2027. Thank you. <laughs> okay, good. Ten years. 2032. You're kind of stuck. So, you <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> We're good. You can, you see, you, as, as the Lord leads, you can sit down. I'm not going to read anything into that. Ten years, 2032, there's a reasonable degree of certainty that you possibly maybe won't be here. All right, 20, 20 years' time, in 2042. Oh, wow, all right. 30 years' time. I'm going to go until I make the point. 35 years' time. You might be up there. <laughs> All right, 40, 50, 100 years' time. There's a reasonable degree of possibility that you won't be here. Oh, look, everybody's sitting down. It worked. Praise God. Look, whether it's one year or whether it's 50 years, whether it's, because she, uh, whether it's a job choice, whether it's a military reassignment, whether it's a retirement, whether it's... God forbid, a, a, 
a death in, in, in <laughs> there's going to be a day when all of us are not here anymore. For the vast majority, that'll be a day when you go and get on a plane and you don't come back. So, I would suspect, with a bit more certainty now, that when you think about your life here in Bahrain, you know that there's a day coming when you're not going to be here. So consciously or not, you're now living accordingly, right? So maybe you lease a car. You don't buy a car because you're thinking, well, in one to 50 years' time, I'm not going to be here. So I'll just lease one because it's easier. Maybe you rent a home rather than trying to buy one because you think, 20 years' time, is it, am I, I going to be here? Maybe, maybe not. Maybe you've got your next three or four vacations planned because you think, I'm in this part of the world, I'm never going to be as close to all these other parts of the world. So whilst I'm here, I might as well try and see more of the world. You've got your financial targets set because your income will change. when You're thinking about how your work experience here will secure you your next move or help you go this place, that place. So whether consciously or not, the vast majority of us are living accordingly whilst we're here because we know there's a day when we won't be here. Yeah? Come on, we've just done it. Let's not do it again. We're all living accordingly because we know there's going to be a day that starts in Bahrain without you. Yes? I knew that was true. Paul says the time is short and we want you to be free of concern. Loads of people live like that here, don't they? Because they know, whether it's one year, whether it's 25 years, there will most likely be a day when you get on a plane and you don't come back. And if you think like that about your life here, it's fine. It's all right. We all do it. It's very natural. It probably helps you to focus on what you really want to do whilst you are here. Yeah? It does. Oh, my gosh. Everybody who normally joins in must be quarantining at home. Because you know that your life here, I love life here, but you know your life here is not permanent for the vast majority of us, don't you? You know that your life here is not permanent, so you're living accordingly whilst you are here. And that is why I think, and now we all think, that Bahrain is the perfect place for you to perfect your thinking and your living like a believer. Because whether you know it or not, whether you're willing to admit it in a room of significantly diminished people where we can all hear you, whether you're willing to admit it or not, you're already doing it in the decisions that you make daily. You've leased a car. You've rented a home. You've not done X, Y, and Z. You have done X, Y, and Z because you know that this is not permanent and there will be a day when you leave. That is exactly what Paul is trying to instill in the Corinthians. Look around at everything around you. Enjoy it. Engage with it. Benefit from it. But don't get entangled in it all because for the vast majority of us, there will be a day when it all comes to an end, even if it doesn't feel like it now. 
We've used our lives here in Bahrain for context. He's talking about marriage, relationships, emotions, people, places, stuff. It's all going to change is what he's saying. So you need to view it in proper perspective and see that the big picture points here that the only thing that's going to last is the notable and consistent stuff that you do for God. He is urging them, and we are urging you to live like this because the time is short, and we want you to be free of concern. We want you to enjoy your time here. We want you to give notable and constant service to the Lord. And that looks different for everybody, to daily live out your faith, free from the stresses and worries of people who are just living for today as a very steady and a very consistent witness to those around you. So living here now is the perfect place to perfect this scriptural truth because whether you know it or not, you are already doing it. So now you know that you're doing it, realize that and amplify that in your life, bigger picture. I read this week, can we go right down the timeline? I read this week that when you see your life in the light of eternity streaming between the curtains of your dying bed, you will understand then that there was nothing worth living for but God and Christ and His church. And you will give your verdict then with mine now that truly to live must be Christ, or else to die never can be gain. And then the person that wrote that said, so let us live while we live here. How true is that for us? Let us live while we live here. And to that, as, as eschatological people, as people who know our future because of our faith in Jesus, we say yes and we say amen. Let us live while we live here. Amen? Let's stand and let's pray. Father, we thank you again for the truths of your word. Uh, we thank you for the attitudes and the, uh, the thoughts that they guide us to have. We thank you that the same Holy Spirit that inspired Paul, uh, that preserved these letters, also dwells within us, Lord, so that the attitude... Uh, given in Scripture, is available to us through the same Spirit that inspired the letters. Lord, we thank you for this wonderful opportunity to live in Bahrain now, to perfect the attitude and the approach to life that you call us to have in Scripture. Lord, we know that for most of us there will be a day that begins here without us. And whilst we love living here, Lord, we've, we freely and willingly acknowledge this truth that none of this, our life in Bahrain, our life uh, as things are now, none of this is permanent, Lord. None of it will last. And only what we do for you uh, will carry on into eternity. We thank you uh, that because of our faith in Jesus, his death and his resurrection, that we can be sure, Lord, we can be truly eschatological people with a, with a firm grip on who we are and where we are going. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to, uh, to minister this truth to those around us who may not have a firm grip, have any grip uh, on who they are and where they are going, Lord. 
that through a, a steady and a consistent witness to those around us, we would show them what it means uh, to live a Christian life, to take the big, beautiful truths of your word and apply them to our everyday decisions. Father, we pray for those in our church uh, family and community that are sick, uh, that are having to stay home for, for one reason or another. We pray you would heal, that you would help, uh, Lord, that you would fill them uh, afresh with your spirit today of power and love and self-control and, and not a spirit of fear. We pray, Lord, that as we uh, continue through this very strange season of life together, that you would continue uh, to protect your church, to bless your church. Uh, and we thank you again for the wonderful privilege we've got of meeting so openly and freely as a church who worships you, that holds up the name of Jesus in this country that you've called us to. Father, we love you and we praise you and we worship you in Jesus' name. We 